us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who ascended, descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Wow, that's a mouthful. So, Father, we lift this word up to you, O oh God, this which you have deposited into the scripture, into the canon, O oh God. Father, you have deposited into the body of Christ for a purpose, for a reason, and we want to know, we want to understand your ways, O oh God. So would you awaken our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to understand today what it is you hope to accomplish through this word. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. So essentially, I want to dissect uh, this set of verses into its various components to try and give you a clearer picture of where we have been heading over the past 13 to 15 weeks within the framework of this preaching series and what we hope will be realized from it as we pursue the substance of what has been conveyed and turn our words into practice, right? Don't be just a hearer of the word, right? Be a doer. So turn our words into practice, our practice into a lifestyle. You know, it's one thing to get convicted about something, you know, and, oh, so you run out and you do something, and then you kind of slip back into the mundane of living your life, and you end up exactly where you were before, right? That isn't any better. Our lifestyle into a culture. Wouldn't it be awesome if as a community of believers we could really live out in unity the word of God through our lives? And our culture into an invasive force against the darkness that prevails in our community at large. It's been a rough week in the Lakes region. Been a rough week, a lot of stuff going on. First of all, I want to show you a picture of how I believe Jesus sees the church, because we, we need to be encouraged, don't we? In Ephesians 4:15 and 16, Paul says, "Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body." Now this is how he sees us. This is how Jesus views us. 
joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When Jesus looks at the church, this is what he's looking at. Here is the functioning church, enabling itself through a healthy and intimate relationship with both Christ as the head, but also with one another as the integral parts of the same body. And the key to this, as it always is, is love. So turn to someone near you and say, we need each other. I now turn in a different direction and tell somebody else. Yeah, we need each other, right? We really do. So this is what Jesus would say. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you. Boy, that's a tall order. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It isn't the bumper sticker. It isn't the little fish on the back of your tailgate that's going to tell the world you're a Christian. It's the love that you have one for another. And of course, this isn't anything new, really. Love has been the relationally embedded dynamic between God and his people since he first chose and called out a people for his own. In Mark 12, 29, it says, Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. What is new uh, relatively speaking, is the expansion of the, of the dynamic as Jesus unfolds the new and everlasting covenant that is being formulated through his words and actions as God in the flesh, which in and of itself is love expressed. He goes on to say in Mark twelve thirty one, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it, it's pretty easy, I think, in our, in our conception of these ideas to think, well, I, I can love God. You know, I, I, I can love God. That's, that's pretty good because we have means of worship and we can you know, do things that somehow satisfy the internal idea that we are loving God. Well, why do you worship? Well, I worship because I love God. Why do you praise? Because I, I love God. You know, why do you get into the Word? Because I love God. Why do you do what you do? Because I love God, you know. So we, we kind of express it as a doing thing. What about your neighbor? And of course, the big question is, <laughs> who's my neighbor? You know, I mean, that, that's what Jesus got in return when he made that statement. Who's my neighbor? Well, who, who does this apply to? And see, here's the thing. Jesus is, was never a pacifist when he came to this expression. He was always radical about love. Okay? So he says this in Luke 6, 27. But I say to you who hear, and you have to be able to hear this, and, and, and the concept of hearing, 
uh, that scripture we just read, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's called the Shema in Hebrew, Shema. It means to hear, but it means to hear with the idea of hear and do. So, Johnny, go clean your room. You know, mom just isn't giving him a good idea. Mom is expecting a response, and she goes in there half an hour later, Johnny, why isn't your room clean? Right? Shema, hear and do. Jesus talks the same way. I've given you a suggestion. No, I'm giving you a commandment. That means you've got to do what, what I'm suggesting to you. So he gets really radical about this. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Uh-oh, that means my enemies are my neighbor. If you can gape it. Do good to those who hate you. Huh? Come on. How come I see so many frowns? <laughs> oh, if you think that's bad, watch this one. Bless those who curse you. Right? That means you can't fly the bird anymore in those road rage moments. <laughs> oh, thank you for cutting me off. I love you so much. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Well, how about this one? All right. Put on your seatbelts. Pray for those who abuse you. Wow. That's like lifetime. Lifetime. How many of you as children were abused? Still hurts, doesn't it? Yeah. The way out, pray for those who abuse you. It isn't for them, it's for you. All of this is for you. It's never really about the enemy, the hater, the abuser. It's to keep you safe from becoming an enemy, a hater, and an abuser. Because hurting people hurt people unless they do what Jesus says to do. Right? How about a punch in the nose? Huh? Right? Joshua knows. And came to Christ in jail, and someone punched him in the nose. What was your response, Josh? Walked away and said, this one's for free. <laughs> Got to do it. So where did he ever come up with these ideas? Love your enemy, pray for your abusers. You know, I mean, this is pretty radical stuff, don't you think? The simple answer is this. He's just like his dad. Jesus is just like his dad, right? Here's the classic statement, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's followed by an extreme expression in Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then he goes on to write in 5.10, for if while we were enemies, while we were enemies with God, 
We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we have reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And because Jesus is just like his dad, he wants us to be just like him. I mean, if Father God, when you were his enemy, could offer his son so you could become his friend. And you can put the picture on what it looks like when you were his enemy. You know, you know how you lived. You know what that did to his heart in retrospect. If he loved you then, you can be like Jesus. John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Do you see why he's doing all of this? It's for us. He's not trying to constrain us. He's not trying to bind us into a little religious box so that we act a certain way. He's doing this so that we could know joy, real joy and heartfelt love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Be like Jesus. So how do we get there? There being, just like Jesus, loving God, loving each other, loving our neighbors as well as our enemies. Because Jesus loves his church and fully expects his church to conform to his image. Isn't it written somewhere about that? Somewhere in the Bible? B-I-B-L-E, right? Again, loving like he loves. Jesus has put a system in place within the body of Christ to help ensure our success. It's back to Ephesians 4, verses 7 and 8. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Drop down to verse 11. These are the gifts that he gave. He gave apostles, he gave prophets, he gave evangelists, he gave shepherds and teachers. Why these? What is the purpose of these gifts to the church? In some circles, it's believed these are the special men and women who make up the leadership of the church, creating a hierarchical leadership structure where those who are designated as being titled as apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, should be looked up to as special, unique, or anointed, and therefore hold sway or authority over the body of Christ. And there have been, through the years, enough disastrous movements within especially the charismatic element of the church to show this structure is contrary to Jesus' original plan. In Matthew 20, 25, in fact, Jesus says this, Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, 
and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the upside-down kingdom. I think it's important for us to understand what the fivefold ministry is not. It is not a governmental structure for the oversight of the church, and it is not a platform for self-appointed, self-anointed, and self-important individuals to rob the church of the reality of the life in Christ. We also need to know what it is because there are still a number of groups touting fivefold application and misusing the gifting for personal gain, position, and power. And so we need to know what the fivefold is and what it is not. And one of the things it is not is a special anointing that can be given out at special meetings by specially anointed individuals that will entitle others to suddenly hold a title they are neither called nor equipped to minister. Fivefold ministry is and only is a structure of servant leadership designed and commissioned to do one thing and one thing alone. And we find that again back in Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers for this reason to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is the purpose of the fivefold ministry. There are a couple of reasons as to why this model is important. The first being what Paul states in the very next verse in Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitfulness schemes. How important is that? The world didn't end last week, on the 23rd of September. Do you know how many Christians had prepared for that day? Just swept along in some guy's idea. You know, distracted from the real work of ministry. For months, years, some of them, right? Ever get stuck or know someone who is stuck in an emotional or addictive loop? And we say this, oh, why don't they just grow up? Right? Don't we say that? Why don't they just grow up? What are we saying? Why don't they just mature? Well, Jesus is saying the same thing. We need to mature. We can't stay as children in our faith. Jesus wants us to grow up to be mature, productive, fruitful individuals who act like, think like, give like, and love like Jesus. And so he provides us with the means to do that, and that means is the fivefold ministry. And that brings us to the second reason why this model is important, because the fivefold ministry was first modeled by Jesus himself. Jesus in and of himself is the full expression of the apostolic. 
the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. And he wants us to be, as a body of believers, as a community of saints, he wants us to be as he was when he walked where we walk. So let's take a look at that. Jesus as apostle. Apostle means, drum roll please, someone. Sent one, sent one. Missionary, if you go to the Latin. Sent one, if you stay with the Greek. Okay. Apostle means sent one. Do a New Testament word search on sent. Really insightful, right? John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, apostello. As the Father has sent me, he is the anointed, sent one. Even so, I am sending you. So all of a sudden, we have become anointed, sent ones. Because Jesus did to us what the Father did to him. According to Jesus, who is the sent one, the whole church is apostolic or sent. The early church fathers recognized this fact and felt it to be important enough to include it in the opening statement of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, sent church. We were never designed to hunker down. Yeah, you got to have a base camp, but there's a reason for having a base camp, and the reason is a nine-day hike up the Himalayas to reach a remote village who's never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Huh? Jesus is prophet. The Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, right? It's talking about Jesus. The Word of God. Oh, I got a word from the Lord for you. All right? Getting this? The word of God become flesh. This is so embedded in his nature that the angel in Revelation who was guiding John through the vision and experience of the revelation of Jesus Christ makes this statement in Revelation 19.9. The angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony, listen to this, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The very words of Jesus are the spirit of prophecy. So you flip that coin over, and when you prophesy, you are testifying the words of Jesus. Okay? He is the ultimate prophet. His very words, anything he says is prophetic. Anything that you say in representing him in true prophetic anointing is still prophecy, still his testimony. Jesus as evangelist. Let's look at the word in the Greek. It's Strong's number G2099. And this is really hard to pronounce, euangelitis. And you can see our English word for angel is right in the middle. Angel means a messenger. 
all an angel is. I don't even know if God calls them angels. He calls them messengers, right? From, it comes from the word euangelizo, Strong's number G2097, to announce good news, to evangelize, to declare, bring, to declare or show glad or good tidings. That's what an evangelist does. He declares good news or good tidings. And in Jesus' day, when the Roman Empire was uh, ruling most of the known world, if Caesar or one of his generals had a victory, say over in Macedonia he had a victory against some opposing army, and you're down in Alexandria in Egypt, and it takes six months to get the news from Macedonia to Egypt, he would send an evangelist. A courier would come in on husback into your city or into your town, into the center, and he would make an evangelistic proclamation for Caesar. Good news, Caesar has gotten the victory. This is Jesus. Good news. Jesus, Lord of all, has gotten the victory. Hmm? Yeah. So listen to what he says in Luke 4.18. This is Jesus speaking. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Right out of the stall, right? Good news. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. How about Jesus as shepherd? This is a no-brainer, really, right? <laughs> Listen to Jesus in John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. Bam! Bam! <laughs> The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Remember, he's talking to Israel at this point. But he's referencing us. Already, he's looking forward to the day that we gather to worship and praise him, to come into the still waters and the green pastures of living life in Christ. Right? I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Don't you just love them? Hmm? Huh? You love them this morning? Yes. I mean, wow, how could, how could we not, right? He's the shepherd of the flock, the good shepherd who guides us and keeps us, who will never leave nor forsake us. Even in times of trouble, he sticks closer than a brother. Could we pause for a moment, lift up our voices to tell him how wonderful he is? Could we do that? The shepherd of our soul. Why don't you stand up for a minute? Stretch out your arms and your legs and just begin to tell Jesus how much you love him. 
He's a, he's a lover of your souls, the shepherd of your lives. He's the, the good shepherd. He's a good God. He's awesome. He's marvelous in all his ways. His goodness and his mercies endure forever. And his loving kindness, there's no end to his loving kindness. Give him praise today, saints. He's worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. Bless you, Jesus. Glory to your name. We love you, Lord Jesus. You first loved us, and we love you back, O oh God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, O oh God. And we ask you to infuse us with your love that we might be able to love one another as you have loved us, O oh God. So the world would know we are your disciples. We bring honor and praise and glory to your glorious name, Jesus, and expand your kingdom in our day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All righty then. Yeah. He's a good God. How about Jesus as teacher? I love this because there's, uh, there's no better affirmation given to a talent, gifting, or character trait than one, when an enemy has to affirm it as a quality in the life that you display. And there was probably no other group of people, not even the Romans, that were more opposed to Jesus as were the scribes and Pharisees. Right? They just hated him. The Pharisees understood that if Jesus continued along the track he was on, that eventually the people would connect with him at a level that would ensure their own demise or at least significantly diminish their influence over the affairs of Israel. In their hearts, they knew the king had come. But they did not want him want him at the cost of their own positional authority. Now, it's really easy to take your finger and point it back and, and wag it at those Pharisees 2,000 years ago for doing that. But i got to ask us today, and I'm asking myself too, what is it that I'm not willing to give up so Jesus can really be my king? Huh? What are you not willing to give up so Jesus can really be your king? We all do it. We all do it. We all got a little bit of Pharisee in us. Hmm? <laughs> there it is. Right? So, <laughs> I thinkest thou protest too much. <laughs> so here is what the Pharisees believed about Jesus as a teacher. John 3, 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now we all love Nicodemus because you get that whole born-again thing out of that dialogue. But the fact of the matter is he's coming as a Pharisee, representing the Pharisees. Okay? And he reveals something very profound. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know. He doesn't say, I know. He says, we know. He is representing the Pharisees. We know that you are a teacher come from God. Hmm? And still, they put him to death. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. 
Jesus, as we can see, even from this very cursory examination, is the full expression of all of the fivefold ministry types. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. This expression is the full expression of God's active plan for the new creation expansion of his kingdom here on earth so that his will can be done as it is in heaven. Therefore, and this is in all caps printed, therefore, in oversized letters on my sheet. Therefore, Jesus, as he is returning to heaven, turns and invests this expression into the church in order that the full expression of the Father's will can continue to be done through the body of Christ, us. That means that the latent, that latent within each and every one of us is the potential to function at fivefold capacity within the church. Apostolically, prophetically, evangelistically, pastorally, or in a teaching capacity in order to build up the church to do the work of ministry. Because the fivefold giftings are constitutional. In other words, when Jesus is ascending back to the Father, he lays the foundation of the church with his words. Go therefore into all the world, preach the gospel, he instructs them, teaching them everything that I have taught you up to this moment, and he gifts them to do that. Right at the foundational, constitutional level of the birthing of the church, the fivefold ministry is implanted by his words. It's constitutional to the life and activity of the church. They are embedded at DNA level. But there is more. Because they are constitutional to all believers, that means they are also readily available to us situationally. In other words, if a situation requires the expression of any one of the fivefold capacities in order to be brought into line with the Father's will, then he can use any willing and obedient servant. Any willing and obedient. How many know you can be willing and not obedient? Right? Happens all the time. In any of the fivefold capacities that is necessary for the moment, in other words, as Wimber said, everybody, everybody gets to play. And it's an even playing field. So next week we will begin to explore what it might look like to function in any one of or all of these wonderful Jesus-demonstrated Holy Spirit-activated body-building and unifying functions, both in the church and in the world at large. But for now, let's pray. I'm going to ask you to stand up. And because we're now getting down into the nitty-gritty of the application of the fivefold ministry, the importance of this. I'm going to ask you if this is something that is stirring your spirit, something inside of you is saying, yes, I get this. This feels right to me. I'm in agreement with this. I want to be part of this. I'm going to ask you to just kind of open up 
by posture, open up your heart, open up your arms to receive from the Lord. And I'm going to release an anointing for the fivefold ministry. And I believe that what's going to happen with that anointing is little by little you're going to be un- begin to understand within yourself the purposes of God that he has for you within the framework of this ministry. And that doesn't mean you're going to end up with a little tag that you can pin on your suit coat, you know, Apostle Dick or uh, Evangelist Josiah or, or whatever it is. It just means that Christ is going to begin to use you in a more intentional fashion for the things and with the things he's designed you to be for the church and for the world around you. So if that's something you want to begin to process, I'm just going to ask you to open up. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place this morning. We thank you, O God, that by the words of Jesus Christ as he ascended back to the Father, as he seated himself at the right hand of the living God, as king of the universe, that he gave the Holy Spirit, he gave us you, to enable the church, the body of Christ, in all the fullness of Christ, Lord, to continue the kingdom expansion through the work of the fivefold ministry. Lord, that there are some that are gifted in magnificent ways and don't even know it yet. Lord, that your heart longs for them to begin to emerge in gifting so that the body can be strengthened, it can be unified, it can go on to another level of maturity, going from glory to glory until we're at the full stature of Jesus Christ. We ask you to come, Holy Spirit. Release the anointing upon each one in this place, O God, so that the degree of of the fivefold ministry, whatever it is for each one, whatever you have allocated to each one, O God, because because it's your work, O Holy Spirit, your work within us, Lord, for the apostles that are in this place, for the for the prophets, for the evangelists, for the pastors and teachers who are are sitting here right now, O God. Wondering, how is God going to use me? Would you answer their heart's question today, oh God? Would you anoint them to become an expression of Jesus Christ with the lives that they live, oh God, because they understand who they are in you? Come, Holy Spirit. Release your anointing. Release your gifting. Release your power. Jesus said we should receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Empower your people in this place today, O God. Holy Spirit, bless your bride. Build up your body, O God. That we might love one another as Christ loved us, as the Father loved Christ. More, O God, more. Thank you, Jesus.